Welcome to Risk Roundup. As the computing environment boundaries for organizations across nations expands beyond geospace to cyberspace and space and grows from on-site to off-site and near-shore to offshore, the security threat platform threats and complexity also expands and brings complex security risks for security professionals. As a result, managing access privileges for users, including domestic on-site, off-site employees to contractors onshore, nearshore to offshore is getting very, very complex. Moreover, the emerging converging computing environments that includes on-premise computing software as a service applications and shadow IT and bring their own device users many and many other diverse computing architecture that includes from Windows to Macintosh to Android. And even now, as we see Internet of Things devices is getting very complex and it is adding to the already complex security challenges. As a result, the traditional strong username and passwords for managing identities are not effective anymore. There is a growing need for identity management solutions to be strong enough to accommodate the growing complexities of not only the organizations, but also the complex computing environments. To discuss identity management further, I'm delighted to welcome John Willis to Risk Roundup. John is the Chief Information Security Officer. Welcome, John. We are honored to have you on Risk Roundup. Thank you for having me. Wonderful, John. So now as we evaluate this uh, computer security and with respect to computer security how what do you what is identity management what does it actually mean um, identity management is the uh, I guess collection of uh, processes uh, policies systems and, and so forth to connect or rather to establish a, a trustworthy process of uh, associating uh, attributes of a person to an identity of a person or maintaining a digital identity. I see, I see. You know, that's, uh, so when we talk about uh, this computer security or information security, what does identity management include? Okay, typically you have to start with some authoritative source uh, to uh, establish an identity. Uh, then you have to have a unique identifier for the individual, uh, and then bind uh, that information to that identifier. I see, I see. So is there a difference between these identity management and identity access management? That's a good question. Uh, so there's first the process of establishing the identity of the individual, and then access management is the process or managing of what a person can access. Uh, so based on what they're authorized to access, um, what they've been provisioned to authorize to access, and also various uh, other factors that determine whether or not they are able to access at that time. So is access the uh, role of the identity management or is the what is the goal of identity management? Right, the goal of identity management again is to establish a trustworthy process of binding uh, the identity attributes to uh, so when you say trustworthy when you say trustworthy trustworthy to what what is the definition of that right so again coming back to like uh, an authoritative source for example for example 
there's different levels of mm, identity assurance. Uh, for example, you could self-assert your identity or uh, you could rely on someone else or you could actually physically inspect uh, things like uh, birth certificates, uh, government IDs and so forth. Ah, so the, these are all different uh, variables taken into consideration for identity like birth certificates and uh, all these different uh, uh, variables that you just talked about or is it based on the enterprise like you know whether it's a government initiative or whether it's for an enterprise initiative that you know different uh, variables are taken into consideration for identity? Yes, it depends on a number of factors, uh, specifically risk. Um, I would, um, I guess, urge that those that have an interest in this area look into two particular documents uh, that are very um, informative in this area. Uh, first, uh, the National Institutes of Standards and Technology has the um, Digital Identity Guidelines, uh, Special Publication 863-3. Uh, it's very in-depth, very uh, recently uh, issued. And it discover, discusses uh, these different um, identity assurance levels, as well as um, authentication assurance levels, as well as federation assurance levels. But these are based on, and the level that you pick is based on risk associated with the system at various levels. Uh, the other document that I refer to is the federal ICAM roadmap, implementation roadmap, uh, ICAM being identity credential and access management. Now, that roadmap is a pretty lengthy document. It's a little bit older, but uh, it's very uh, in-depth. So anyone interested in identity access management uh, is urged to review both of those documents. That, that's good. And that's good suggestion and good point. So are those the guidelines uh, that you talked about in IST? Is that uh, being followed everywhere, you know, uh, irrespective of... Uh, uh, what component of a nation we are talking about, like organizations or academia or industries or government, or is there any specific framework uh, that is industry specific, or is there any framework that should be, uh, you know, used across uh, any component of a nation? What 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 are different uh, organizations following? Are they following just the NIST guidelines, or are they, you know, following uh, or Rather, should they be following NIST guidelines or should they be following different industry-specific frameworks? Uh, well, frameworks kind of depends on which um, layer of the, the situation you're talking about. Um, so as far as identity proofing, uh, I guess there's not really so much uh, framework out there that I'm familiar with. Uh, but the, the digital identity guidelines is very uh, good resource on that. Uh, when it comes to establishing uh, authentication uh, between systems and federation, there's certainly a more technical protocol uh, frameworks, if you will, standards uh, such as uh, a security assertion markup language, the SAML, uh, which is very commonly used in federation, or OpenID, um, another approach to the federated um, authentication, uh, as well as the Kantara initiative. I see. So when you talk about layers, what do you mean by that? Uh, so some of those that I just mentioned were protocols uh, as opposed to an overall framework. Um, I see. Now I understand your point now. So what, what are the complex challenges 
of defining and designing any identity management solution for any enterprise or for any initiative? Uh, so the first challenge is uh, executive sponsorship, obtaining that, uh, getting the budget for the tools and the people necessary to do that, to, to implement it. Uh, from a technical perspective, uh, also somewhat political, uh, is getting access to the different identity stores, if you will, uh, throughout the enterprise. So for example, uh, your enterprise is driven largely on Active Directory. Uh, that's more or less your central resource uh, of user identity uh, information, so to speak. Uh, but there's often other systems within the enterprise that don't directly connect to Active Directory for authorizing or authenticating connections uh, to those applications. And they may have local user uh, databases. And part of the identity management challenge is to connect to those local user stores and bring in that information into the centralized identity management system. I see, I see. So now you mentioned that, you know, getting the funding, uh, is, is that a challenge? Getting funding because uh, I mean, as we see, cybersecurity threats and breaches are increasing, you know, across nations. Even in that environment, getting funding for identity management is that an issue in some organizations? Um, in some organizations, and okay. so part of the challenge is you know, just making sure that you understand the benefits or you know, what are the business drivers. Uh, so, to that end, um, there are different drivers. Uh, one would be, you know, that centralization of that user information enables better governance of one's risk uh, exposure. Um, also facilitates streamlining uh, role governance. Uh, enables, uh, can enable self-service uh, access requests, which, you know, increases efficiency and probably more importantly, uh, facilitates uh, compliance uh, by making information available in a much more streamlined fashion. So is central, uh, according to you, do you th think that centralization is a better way to go than decentralization of all these, you know, um, the identities, uh, you know, directory that you create? Is that uh, the recommended guidelines? From an enterprise perspective, a given yeah. enterprise, um, centralized identity management is uh, a recommended best practice, I would say. I see. I see. So when when you decide, I mean, when any organization decides to go, you know, implement uh, effective identity management solutions, do they go and just purchase it, you know, uh, a solution from other vendors or they, custom, they, they customize it or they uh, develop that from scratch? What is the trend here, you know, what kind of solutions uh, organizations are implementing? Uh, well, you know, oftentimes uh, some professional services assistance is required. Um, and, I... and so, for example, uh, trying not to name too many products, but uh, some of the larger vendors uh, that have been around a while uh, take a lot of effort to, because they're so robust and flexible, require you know, significant engineering effort to get implemented. Uh, so it can get rather costly. Sure. Uh, 
there are some uh, products, I guess, that are you know, a little bit more economical, but at the end of the day, you still have to customize it for uh, the enterprise that you're installing it into. And uh, how, I mean, is the cost the criteria uh, entities or organizations are looking at or the effectiveness of uh, these solutions or the robustness uh, of the solution that is uh, uh, at the center of the decision-making process? Um, so I, I think it's probably more important to think in terms of what is the overall objective uh, or how many different objectives you have uh, because you know there's not just the identity management, there's the access management. Uh, there's many things that flow from that. You know, are you trying to implement uh, user self-service? Are you trying to facilitate um, you know, some more future um, leaning initiatives such as you know, attribute-based access control or implementing some of the risk analytics and that sort of thing. Uh, so you have to consider the whole picture. Yes, uh, of course. So when when we talk about identity management, access management, you know, also needs to be uh, discussed, you know, with that because they all both go hand in hand. Now, so irrespective of this, uh, when we talk about organizations and how they develop this uh, identity management uh, framework or policies or protocols or, you know, uh, the uh, system, uh, do they look at the different different form of the devices that will be used by uh, individuals, irrespective of whether they are employees or contractors or partners, or uh, what what they develop is uh, neutral to uh, any of the devices that it could work on any devices, irrespective of what devices are used, you know, by the contractors or by the employees. Right. So. In respect of the devices, so typically uh, uh, it kind of depends on. Well, I guess there's multiple factors. There's a question of how the applications are developed. Um, but I guess at the end of the day, uh, there has to be uh, some sort of device as well as individual uh, certificate of some sort uh, that's presented as part of the authentication. Yes, yes, I understand that. So now uh, we we see very you know growing use of social media, and as individuals increasingly use their social media identities to access services and resources, um, organization must be able to reach their users through any platform because they need to give them uh, access to their corporate systems through. Uh, the existing digital identity. So how is this social media usage and how, how are social media identities creating complexities uh, to the identity management uh, process? Okay. Well, so you're in a social media type uh, scenario, you're really looking at the use of federation, uh, which is where you're essentially having uh, an application owner rely on someone else uh, to identify the person. And so you have to establish some trust between those two parties. That's the basic foundation of the, the federation. Uh, but from an enterprise perspective, if you're serving external customers, um, that's actually where federation is very helpful, but you have to manage them separately from your internal users. Yes. Right, right. So now 
when identity management process is uh, implemented you know across the organization or uh, you know across the, any component of a government's organization so uh, is once that uh, a process is uh, effective is that is an automated process or is that manual like there are uh, individuals sitting in behind the desk and you know monitoring who is accessing what and uh, giving you know managing the identity of the users or you know giving them access or how does that work is is the process automated or manual so you're referring to both identity and access management sure. first on the identity management you have to have somebody there may be some in person identity proofing um, there may yeah, there may be fingerprinting involved, so there's a person involved in that. But once you're established uh, with your identity in the system, then for the access management piece, uh, you can make that user self-service, but at some point you have to have someone approving that access. And at that point, you're waiting on someone to approve, uh, typically. Uh, so that can introduce some delay. Um, and you can also utilize some of these systems to automatically provision uh, the access for the user. Um, so that's pretty seamless. So the main uh, delay is the, uh, the approver for that access. I see, I see. So now when, when these uh, uh, identities are given to users, uh, that could be employees or contractors, uh, depending on what role they have within the enterprise or within the organization, are they given in uh, similar IDs or are they given in different, you know, individual IDs that this person is supposed to work in the finance? So uh, this person needs to have an ID that uh, somehow, you know, differentiates them that this is for financial, you know, uh, employees or contractors, or if somebody is supposed to work in, you know, research or somebody is supposed to work in marketing. So is there a variation in the way the IDs are given to the employees or contractors, depending on the role that they have? In some organizations, perhaps they do that, but generally uh, an ID is just an identifier for that individual. And what they're uh, permitted to access or authorized to access is generally based on the roles they've been granted access to. For example, if you're using Active Directory as your primary driver for that, they belong to a certain group within Active Directory, which would govern their access to those resources. Um, and then there may be other attributes uh, for that individual that may be taken into account during the access. I see. I see. So, I mean, shouldn't it be, uh, shouldn't there be some sort of variation, like, you know, for certain uh, systems? or certain, you know, roles and departments that, that uh, those identities probably needs to uh, be monitored more uh, or some, you know, like for research or for some uh, marketing, some, depending on some functions, there may not be that kind of criticality for, uh, that would bring security risks to any organization. So should there not be some variation in how those identities are managed or how the authentication or access is managed? If there's some concern about the same user ID being used, certainly you can yeah. have a different system for managing a different user identi identifier. But at some point, if you're centralizing your identity management, you're going to tie those two IDs together you know, for enterprise management purposes. 
Um, obviously, monitoring the access for uh, what someone is doing in an environment is a different uh, topic. Right, right. Now I understand. So now, so from your uh, assessment, you think that identity management uh, is about controlling information about users and computers, or it is more than that? It's it's more about having the collection of the identity attributes uh, bound to uh, an individual in a single place within the enterprise and know in facilitating knowing what all that individual has access to and also governing that. Right. So you think that the access management is the motivation for identity management? Uh, well, you can't have access without identification. So, <laughs> right, right, right. So, what are the system capabilities for identity management? Uh, typically, they uh, are able to connect to different types of uh, user stores. You know, so, like a JDBC connector to connect to uh, Oracle type uh, databases, you know, Active Directory connector, uh, LDAP connector. So they're able to reach out and pull in uh, user information from you know, disparate types of resources so that it can pull it you know, into the, the central uh, repository. Right, right. So does identity management uh, that we have current uh, at, the, at the moment, uh, does it address the privacy issues effectively? Uh, well, that's really dependent upon how you control access to any of those attributes that are considered private information. I wouldn't say that identity management in and of itself you know, contributes one way or the other. You still have to manage any PII. Sure. Sure. Now, in, I mean, uh, before, uh, in the beginning, when you gave some uh, recommendations about NIST guidelines and uh, the other areas, are those I mean, that, those were the good guidelines, but do you see any standards for identity management across nations? Or are there any organizations who are working towards the uh, defining standards for identity management? Uh, for identity management per se, uh, I'm sure there's probably something going on at uh, ISO, which I'm not actually involved in. Uh, I know in the US there's also, the national uh, is it standard for trusted identities in cyberspace, NSTIC, uh, that's one. Um, I'm sure there's other industry uh, frameworks as well. I see, I see. So now, uh, the access management, identity management, or, you know, authentication and all, but uh, do you see identity analytics perhaps would allow the security teams to detect and stop risky identity behaviors using uh, probably machine learning or any other statistical or algorithms? Do you see that trend or do you see organizations using that? Uh, well, there's been a, a history of the security industry looking at um, user and, and entity behavioral analytics uh, as to what they're accessing and such. Uh, that's you know, had some mixed results. Uh, there's some benefit. It, it can result in false positives and you have to have someone review the information. I think that you know, identity and access management solutions 
you know, they have different capabilities, uh, some that pertain to their definite, uh, their own purview of what they're doing, uh, but not necessarily the, the user entity that UABA um, type data. So for example, uh, you may have a standalone uh, solution uh, providing that analytical information. Uh, if your uh, access management solution is able to ingest that, uh, then that's what I, I believe a better solution than say uh, identity and access management uh, product that uses its own um, software to do that because it's more of a closed architecture. Right, right. right. Now, what about risk-based authentication? How is how much effectiveness does it bring to not only the identity management, but uh, of course the authentication and access, uh, you know, capabilities? Mm -hmm. uh, well, I think there's um, a lot to be said. A great promise for you know, having you know, the user entity uh, behavior analytics products provide that risk information. Um, the question I have is, you know, what is the architecture that you're using to implement that? Uh, so on the one hand, uh, you may think, hey, let me integrate it with my access management uh, solution. Uh, but if that access management solution is uh, not necessarily say like an ABAC or attribute-based access control system, it may not be the, the most appropriate architectural solution that's a good point. So what, what kind of architecture solution should be uh, used or implemented? Yeah. So kind of coming back to the consideration that open architecture preferred, um, you can take some of these uh, standalone analytic products and access the risk information. And if you're using attribute-based access control or as, uh, Microsoft calls it dynamic access control, if you're able to... Uh, view uh, that risk score or analytic information, you can incorporate that as part of the logic that determines whether or not a user's uh, allowed to access a particular resource. So you know, in real time, basically, if a person's risk score increases you know, at the time they're trying to access a resource, the system dynamically uh, decides whether or not to provide, uh, provide access to that resource based on that risk. Right, no, that's a good point. So, uh, this identity management, uh, how effectively it can be used for compliance management, you know, irrespective of what kind of initiative or organization uh, we are talking about? Yeah, so if your organization uh, currently has a lot of manual processes in uh, setting someone up and with an account initially and uh, managing what they're allowed to have access to and so forth, then there's a chance that compliance is a real challenge because you know, they have to produce all this documentation and you know, if it's a manual process, it's very problematic. Uh, and so having it more automated uh, certainly provides uh, a quicker capability providing that compliance documentation. Right, right. Now, uh, when we talk about regulating user access, it also, you know, uh, involves perhaps, you know, many different uh, authentication methods. So what are the, uh, 
most common or you know widely used authentication methods for verifying the identity of a user so authentication methods um so username and password uh was the old traditional method right uh, that's gradually going by the wayside uh, people are moving towards you know, two-factor or multi-factor authentication uh, so we have to have uh, something that you know or you are or that you have uh, in order to authenticate. Uh, so that can be in the way of, say, a smart card or some token, um, biometrics, and that sort of thing. Right. So do you see the multi-factor authentication reshaping uh, identity management in the coming years? Well, I see multi-factor authentication reshaping um, the way we authenticate uh, applications um, and that passwords are effectively um, being phased out. Um, in organizations that implement strong authentication, uh, passwords are virtually non-existent except in uh, certain legacy uh, applications. Right, 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 I see. So the, you talked about the open standards, you know, uh, in one of you know the point that we discussed so these identity management platforms are they based on open standards or they should be based on open standards uh well i guess the most open standard that's used is the the saml uh, security uh, assertion markup language or federation um other standards um i guess there's the pki x509 uh, which is more of a technical standard. Um, there's a few other low-level technical standards, but I see. I see. <laughs> now, as we integrate the identity management with legacy systems, uh, what are the challenges you know of integration of uh, identity management with legacy systems? Um, again, it's being able to uh, establish a connection to that system. Yes. Connector. Um, But there's challenges, I guess, with uh, any system, and that is determining what uh, roles exist within uh, those applications. Uh, sometimes they could, it, some of the more complicated ones could have thousands of uh, different roles to sort through. Uh, and so just gaining an understanding of those can uh, be time consuming. Right, right. So do, do you see, do you think that there is a trust and confidence in the current uh, identity management solutions uh, uh, that we have on the market? Uh, well, there's one particular vendor I know of that some people really don't like, so there's not much trust there. <laughs> I see. Others uh, are more, um, I guess, uh, re there are some that are much more respected and uh, valued. Would you be comfortable naming that where there is a lack of trust uh, with that solution or should we rather not talk about that? Um, yeah. uh, so I guess there are some products that are uh, more flexible and require uh, lots of care and feeding to get them uh, working. And because they're so large um, in their infrastructure, they are much more problematic uh, to support. Um, 
the Oracle uh, products are a great example of that. Um, other products that are more up and coming, if you will, uh, such as SailPoint, Identity IQ, um, don't have that same level of overhead. Right, right. No, I understand that. So, what what are what are some trends that you see that are shaping the identity management, and of course, you know, the authentication management also. Trends. Um, I know that OpenID Connect is becoming much more popular. That I think will eventually start to overtake the use of SAML in some respects. Uh, be a lot more federated trust for applications. Um, and many more different types of devices accessing uh, applications. Yes. Um, other trends. Uh, yeah, so I guess it kind of makes me think of what is the, the roadmap uh, that organizations, at least within the federal government, are pursuing. Um, and we've already touched on parts of those. Um, so, for example, the um, U.S. government has this personal identity uh, verification card, or PIV card, which is a smart card. Uh, DOD has a similar thing called a common access card, or CAC card. Um, so the government has been uh, going through this uh, phase of, uh, actually it's a result of uh, Homeland Security Presidential Directive from many years ago, HSPD-12, requiring that in order to access uh, the network, or systems on the network, that you must authenticate with this PIV card or smart card. Uh, so the trend has been first uh, require that the user uh, have to use that card in order to authenticate to their workstation. So machine-based enforcement. Uh, the next uh, approach is to require that the user, regardless of what they're logging into, uh, authenticate with that card. So it's user-based enforcement. Um, however, as soon as you make that tied to the user in an Active Directory world, um, a number of uh, applications uh, fail to let you authenticate. And so that's an opportune time to uh, start working on your applications to ensure strong authentication, uh, taking into account a requirement to use multi-factor authentication, uh, not only to get into work environment, but also for the application to uh, validate that you actually use that multi-factor authentication or to utilize it directly. Um, so that's you know, basically, so the three steps I mentioned so far were you know, machine-based enforcement, uh, user-based enforcement, and then strong authentication for the applications. And then the next trend, uh, which is already used in uh, high security environments, uh, is the attribute-based access control that enables or you have to uh, have much better role governance in order to utilize that. Uh, but that helps uh, control the access based on the different risk uh, factors from the user, the device, the environment, and that sort of thing. And then the next uh, logical uh, progression would be to the risk analytics, uh, incorporating you know, uh, real-time information there. So for example, 
if a user has access to um, group A, B, and C as part of their normal role, and they start accessing files and that normally belongs to group D, then you know, maybe that should raise a flag or shut off access <laughs> to that when I think it's almost a given that organizations grant excessive privilege and that users uh, have flexibility to access information that either is or is not something they need to have access to. And then we have to have ways to uh, analyze that information and for others to you know, management to make decisions as to whether or not they should have that access. Uh, or based on certain attributes, just block that access. So, yeah, so that was uh, machine-based enforcement, user-based enforcement, uh, strong authentication for applications, uh, attribute-based access control, and then uh, risk-based analytics. Oh, that's really good information. Now, you mentioned that uh, organizations sometimes gives you know a lot more access than is necessary for that. Uh, user to have. So what is the reason behind that? Is there a complex? Are there any uh, challenges of, you know, restricting or giving specific access or it is just uh, much easier for, you know, to give the standard, you know, or the same access to everyone? Yeah. Uh, well, I think in terms of application access, it's not as uh, big an issue, but for unstructured data such as network file shares, um, it's a little bit more challenging. I see, I see. So, uh, I mean, we have seen many security breaches uh, for many governments, you know, not just, you know, United States governments, across, you know, nations, we have seen many security breaches. I mean, industries are also going through, businesses are also going through many security breaches. So uh, when we talk about government, what do you think uh, were not, was not effective in the way they manage not only the identities, but also the uh, user access and authentication. What were the challenges that led to uh, this, uh, this many security breaches? And it's still ongoing. Yeah, so I think uh, those issues extend you know, much beyond identity and access management per se. Uh, to a large extent, you know, it's about the, well, Obviously, if you don't uh, reset a default password on a system, uh, that's a problem. Um, <laughs> I guess that's the first thing. Yes. Um, Everywhere, right? <laughs> that is the main problem. And then you know, another problem is making sure that um, your admin accounts uh, for your security infrastructure are uh, well managed you know, with a privilege access management uh, solution. But then beyond you know, the identity access management piece, you know, just the, the mere proper hardening of uh, systems, you know, according to you know, pretty well established you know, security hardening guidelines, uh, a lot of organizations seem to not do that well. Um, so I think as an industry, as a government, uh, we have to continue working towards improving our processes to make those things happen. What concerns you most as, I mean, you have been uh, working in this field for a long time and uh, you have was a long experience with the government, United States government. What concerns you the most as far as how the identities are managed or how the user access or authentication uh, 
and all those uh, processes are controlled from from the perspective of not only the privacy but the security challenges that are emerging you know as we just talked you know the security breaches are still ongoing and there were some pretty you know serious security breaches uh, in the past so what concerns you the most that needs to be probably you know addressed effectively and immediately so that you know we don't see this kind of uh, security breaches arising because of lack of effective you know procedures or lack of effective platform or you know uh, protocols for the identity management solution identity and access management solution both yeah so i think and the most important thing is to um, facilitate getting all of the uh, role information centralized so that you know, all the different uh, key leaders can you know, look at that information and make sure they understand and work towards um, harmonizing, if you will, standardizing the different roles within the enterprise. Um, until you get to that point, you can't effectively implement, say, the attribute access control. But you know, by having that role governance, uh, you're able to identify you know, some of those areas where you have excess authorization. Now, I, you mentioned, you know, uh, in our discussion that, you know, centralization, the, at this point, you know, all these uh, uh, directories are centralized and uh, that, you know, probably, you know, that is a trend. But is that the right approach to, you know, centralization is the right approach for identity and access management? Because uh, so many, I mean, as we see the size of the, uh, if not only the governments, but the if you look at the industries and businesses, I mean, the, any company, uh, the, they have presence, you know, in so many different uh, geographical regions. So for all of them, should the identity and access management be centralized in one place or should, you know, it should be uh, nation specific or it should be, you know, business unit specific? Is that the right way? So I'm still trying to understand if centralization is the right way to go for identity and access management. So in general, identity management uh, should be centralized, but that needs to be considered on a case-by-case -case basis, obviously, you know, based on uh, in-country considerations, uh, corporate structure uh, considerations. Um, access management, uh, well, you know, based on you know, the, the, the same sort of criteria for deciding on identity management, you could break that down by, you know, say, a business unit, uh, but then also consider that uh, the actual access uh, to applications across an enterprise uh, is almost certainly uh, capable of being done in more of a federated fashion uh, to where it's not 100% centralized, but Right, right, right. Um, I, I think, you know, if we have a very large organization, very large entity with, you know, probably millions of, you know, users, employees, as well as uh, contractors, then I think, you know, just having all of them centralized in one place will be probably, you know, too large of an initiative to manage effectively. And uh, if the, if it is, you know, all different geographical locations, then having, you know, compliance to each nation's specific uh, regulations on privacy, security, and, uh, you know, in, uh, this identity and access management will probably create more complex challenges, you know, if it's a centralized uh, 
affair. So I'm not sure that uh, if that, you know, what different variables uh, need to be considered, but I think this probably needs to be evaluated effectively. If what, if, what, what would be the right approach, you know, depending on the initiative, depending on the organization or, you know, where they are located, or what should be the effective way of managing the identity and access management because the security, you know, a large portion of security, you know, depends on that. So uh, that's where, you know, probably we will need to evaluate uh, this more uh, broadly and uh, comprehensively about how to uh, go forward as far as, you know, bringing uh, or, and implementing uh, pro or providing, you know, the effective identity and access management solution. So having said that, what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners? Uh, well, I'm, so until recently, uh, globalized use of you know, an individual's data was pretty common. Um, within the past few years, there's been a move towards ensuring that uh, an individual's PII is actually housed in the country where that uh, individual resides. Uh, so to that end, I think that uh, attributes pertaining to an individual are more likely to, or the ones that are uh, considered uh, private information, would need to reside within that country. Uh, and then based on operational considerations, you know, what information is shared at an enterprise level uh, needs to be considered, you know, perhaps just enough to identify the user uh, but not have you know, sensitive information that's shared you know, outside that country. Right, right. No, the, yeah, it's a, a very uh, complex process. So having said that, thank you so much, John, for participating in Risk Roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on identity management. And our global viewers and listeners will benefit tremendously from the information you provided on the fundamentals of identity management and also to a portion uh, access management and authentication management. So even if a single individual or entity can manage their identity based on the understanding they receive from the discussion we had today, this Risk Roundup dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. So Risk Roundup, a global initiative launched by Risk Group, is a security risk reporting for risk emerging from existing and emerging technologies, technology convergence and transformation happening across cyberspace, geospace and space. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security and peace, they walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. And it is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts feed into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security, so if you build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risks together. For more information on the Risk Roundups, to watch the Risk Roundup webcast or hear the Risk Roundup podcast, please go to riskgroupalacy.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jay Shree, host of this round of signing off. See you next time. Thank you.